this is for a future that I don't understand, a future that I don't see, a future that I don't know what it is, but my higher power does, and that there's a reason for it. Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo. I'm an alcoholic. And today we have Leah on the line. Hi, Leah. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you decided to come on. What a pleasure. Yeah. I've. Uh, I met you at the uh, New Hope meeting in Firestone, and I think I've met you just a couple times. So I'm really curious and looking forward to hearing about your story. Um, why don't you get us started with the, uh, you know, your home group and your sobriety date? Um, yeah, my home group is uh, Saturday minute, Saturday morning uh, women's meeting, um, uh, women in recovery, and uh, my sobriety date is September twenty second, two thousand eighteen. Okay. So I'm looking at three years soon coming up here. Yeah, it's coming right up. It's right around the corner. Yeah. Nice. What are you up to these days? Um. These days, I'm looking at getting into an apartment. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've got a lot going on, really. Um, I'm doing different therapies. I'm working on getting into, um, starting to work at a preschool, hopefully. Um, so really trying to get my life, you know, going, really. Yeah. Until now, haven't really had any desire to have that. Mm. And how did you grow up? Did you grow up in Colorado? I did. Um, I'm a Colorado native. I was born in Greeley, and I've lived in the Longmont area the rest of my life since I was three years old. So I've been a local forever. Mm. Well. Um, how about you go ahead and tell us what got you into the rooms, you know, what happened, um, you know, what it's like today. You can start from the beginning. Yeah, so I didn't know I was alcoholic. Um, I had a friend tell me. And um, it was when I was 27, really, that, well, maybe I was 28, I guess, when I was drinking really heavily. Um only hard alcohol, you know, whiskey, peppermint schnapps. That was my thing. And I would drink it hard and fast and get totally wasted really quick. And I, but, you know, it was only every now and then, like every two, three days. And my understanding of alcoholics is they'd been drinking for years and they did it all the time. And they drink all day. And so I didn't recognize that what I was doing was drinking alcoholically. Mm. And um, so she brought up her concerns and I didn't really get it. And it wasn't until I went to an inpatient hospital program for um, suicide, suicidal thoughts that um I really took some time to look at my drinking. Um, They had an AA meeting while I was there that I went to. And I pretty much just listened. And all of the people at that meeting had been in that hospital before. 
And so it wasn't just for drinking. They dealt with psychological issues too. And the drinking just made it worse. And so listening to all of them talk, I was able to get a chance to hear all the different stories and the different perspectives and people's different experiences and start to really look at my drinking and be able to view it as alcoholic behavior. Yeah. And so I started going to meetings and I started talking to people in those meetings and I was still drinking, um, pretty hardcore. Uh, I was in a very bad, um, abusive, sexually abusive, uh, relationship at that point. It wasn't even really a relationship and how I was dealing with it was drinking because I couldn't deal with it. And I had people help me get out of that. Um, and it was only really then that I could actually address my drinking and start trying to get sober. Um, you know, I got some good time under my belt for a while. Um, I made it to a year and then, um, then I lost, you know, I had another relapse and then I made it to 18 months at one point. And, I felt really great. Um, I was with a really nice guy. Um, and we were actually expecting a son. But I miscarried him, actually, right after I got 18 months. And that sent me back into drinking again. Hmm. Um, pretty heavily. And... It got really out of control, and that was that was the last time I was drinking. I drank for several months, and then um, September 21st hit, and I got into an enormous argument with my dad that ended up leading to me moving out, and I got totally wasted that night, um, and that was the last time I drank because I never wanted to do that again. It was horrible. And I decided that I wanted to head a different direction. And in order to do that, I needed to be sober. I had to make that commitment. And I needed to make it to myself. Because I'd only made that commitment to other people, really. You know, to help my therapist see me in a different light. To, you know, make the people at church see me as someone in recovery. You know, it was always for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a way to stay sober. At least it wasn't for me. Um, I could make some time, but it wasn't going to last. So this time, it was making the decision for myself that I wanted to be sober, sober, that I needed to have that life of sobriety for myself to be able to move forward. And, you know, so far that stayed true. I've never lost that sight. Um, and I have to stay connected with my higher power in order to do that because there will be days all the time that I lose sight of that. Hmm. And 
because I don't feel worthy of that sobriety. I don't feel worthy of that better life that I'm working for. And that's when I need to call in my higher power to remind me that this is for a future that I don't understand, a future that I don't see, a future that I don't know what it is, but my higher power does, and that there's a reason for it. And so I have to keep that faith, and I have to keep connected with my higher power and with, you know, working my program and working my self-care through my therapy work in order to keep moving forward with my healing. Um, Because that's been another huge aspect of my personal journey um, is the mental health aspect. Um, For me, that has been the thing that led me to drinking alcoholically is my struggles with mental health issues. Um, Because my major issues, my major addictions are self-harm. And a lot of people don't see that as an addiction, but I can tell you from experience, it absolutely is. And, you know, when that isn't enough, turning to alcohol, 100%. And then when I was stuck in my drinking, I would self-harm a lot. And, you know, I've had a really rough couple of months as far as mental health goes. Um, I spent some time in the hospital the last six months or so, but this last time coming out, I knew something had to change because the hospital wasn't working. And I knew that part of that was getting back into the rooms of AA because I hadn't been since COVID started, you know, COVID kind of threw everything out of whack. Mm. But one of the things that it unfortunately kind of took away from me was AA because I tried the Zoom meeting, but it wasn't really the same feel. You know, being in the rooms, you get to see everyone's face. You get to have that feel that just comes from sitting in the rooms with all these, you know, people who are in their recovery as well. And it's, it's a totally different feeling from staring at a screen. And so Zoom didn't really work for me. And stepping back into going to the room has reminded me what I was missing. So even though I've been able to remain sober, it's this piece of AA and this piece of sobriety that I feel like I forgot. You know, doing the big book and trying to find a sponsor again and going to meetings regularly and listening to people's stories and talking to the newcomer you know, all these things that come with active AA membership that I haven't been doing has really kind of made a difference 
for the stress in the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really nothing else so far has made quite a, as big of a difference as going to the meetings. And I go in there and I actually stop thinking about apartment applications and benefit paperwork and, you know, all the other things that I have going on in my head where it's just constantly going and I'm constantly thinking. The only time where my brain actually stops doing that is when I'm sitting in the room because I think it's a time where I get to stop focusing on what's going on in my life and I get to sit and I get to listen to what's going on in everybody else's life. You know, how are other people doing their recovery? And that is a big important piece, I think, for anyone who's in recovery. And that's definitely a big important piece for me, that I need to be able to get out of my stuff, out of all the stuff that's bogging me down, good or bad, and get out of there and get into what's going on for other people. And listen to their successes, listen to their struggles, and be able to offer support, you know, at the end of the meeting, if someone's really struggling, be able to walk up to them and be like, hey, you know, I heard you share, and that sounds really rough. Is there something I can do, you know, just get out of myself? Um, And that is so key for, I think, this next stage of, my recovery, you know, I've never been this far in sobriety. And so I think it's an opportunity for me to explore a new stage of service. And I'm kind of looking forward to that opportunity and what that brings with it. And you know, bringing all of my experiences, um, not just with drinking, but my extensive experiences with mental health struggles, with sexual assault, with uh, harm, with everything else that I've gone through. Um, you know, my parents, like growing up, my parents leaned on me a lot, so I raised them. I raise my brother, you know, there's a lot that I've done that I can bring to helping newcomers and helping other people in recovery. And I think that's really my next stage going into three years. As, you know, my recovery keeps going, I think it's very much the service portion to like really start focusing on helping other people and bringing that experience to what other people are going through. Hmm. Leah, you have a lot of experience in uh, what might be considered like outside issues. It sounds like, um, which is really cool at the same time, because you have a story that can help others that are also in the same boat. Um, why don't can you explain how self harm is related to addiction and why why is that an addiction 
as you kind of said to somebody um, who might yeah. not understand, you know, I, I like myself, I, I don't have an, a complete understanding. So I'm very curious. Yeah, absolutely. So self-harm, you know, the reason a lot of people turn to that is it's you're injuring yourself. And so with an injury, you get dopamine, serotonin rushing through your body. And early on in self-harm activities, you know, the person doing it won't necessarily feel it automatically or know that that's what they're feeling with that self-harm behavior. Um, however, as someone gets more and more involved in doing that self-harm behavior, um, especially if there's not any early, um, early intervention to help someone step away from that, um, then as that becomes a more regular uh, coping mechanism, then it slowly becomes an addiction because of that serotonin and dopamine uh, reaction. Because you know, dopamine is that addictive thing that goes, that goes through your brain with any of your, any addiction. And so I've been self-harming since I was 15. So that's 16, 17 years. Um, and so now I can feel that rush every time I do it. And so I know that that rush is coming. I know that that release is coming. And every time I do it, I'm in, usually in panic. I'm usually breathing really fast. I'm usually freaking out. And it's a way to calm down because the second I do it, I can breathe better. Mm. I can feel that rush of, okay, yeah, we're doing better. Okay, that's, I can feel those things going through me and I feel better. This is familiar. This is something I know is happening. Um, for me personally, it also gives me a reason to take care of myself. I'm very good at wound care because that's part of the addiction for me is, okay, now I'm wounded. Now I can take care of it. Now I can take care of me. Mm. Um, so it's also a distraction with that. But so all of those things going through our body because it is an actual injury, you know, it's those things that your body naturally does when it's injured, but now it's doing it because we're doing it intentionally um, when we're hurting ourselves. And so we just become addicted to that feeling. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of kids and a lot of teenagers who get addicted to alcohol really early in their lives, but I think there's an equal amount that get addicted to cutting. And for me, that was my early addiction that eventually led into my alcoholism um, because eventually the self-harm wasn't enough. Um, just like sometimes alcoholics get into harder stuff because eventually the alcohol isn't enough. Um, and so for me, a good portion of my addiction journey has been self-harm. And it still is. 
you know, I've been sober for three years from alcohol, but I've only been sober from self-harm for a month and a half. So that's a really big struggle that I am still actively working on. And unfortunately, it's not as um, well-known, especially as an addiction, like alcohol is. And so in the rooms, it always depends on the meetings for me. But my home meeting has been pretty great about giving me space to be able to talk about my self-harm as an addiction within my recovery. Um, it's one reason why that meeting is my home meeting um, because they've been very welcoming and supportive of me being able to talk about that in the meeting um, just because there's really no other place to bring it besides therapy. Um, so as far as like 12 step meetings, there's nowhere else to um, bring it. And so because trying to work on it as an addiction all the same stuff. Um, yeah, you know, I have to be just as aware of everything with self harm as I am with my drinking. Mm. As an alcoholic, the way I'm looking at it is that your solution is also a problem now. Um, that's the best way that I can make a comparison. But exactly now. With self-harm, alcohol, and suicide, these are all these issues that you've got to deal with in your life. How does, how did self, I, I guess I'm wondering is like, which came first? Was it, did your self-harm and alcohol lead you to suicidal thoughts or, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Cause that was pretty early on in, in your life. Yeah. Um, so. Self-harm came first, and then suicidal ideation. Um, for the most part, that's been uh, pretty on the back burner. It's all, the suicidal ideation always kind of been there. It's just it'll have times where it peaks. But when I started drinking, um when I started drinking alcoholically, it increased my suicidal ideation exponentially. Um, and part of it was my situation outside, but a lot of it was also all of the things that were going on with my drinking and my, me not being able to think properly because of how much I was drinking and the way that it was affecting my relationships with my family and the people that were closest with me. I hated how I was treating them and what it was doing to that. And so that increased my suicidal ideation. So it's kind of this giant negative circle where it technically started with self-harm and then suicidal ideation and then drinking but then the drinking made the suicidal ideation and self-harm worse. So it all just kind of circles. And I know in the last several months, 
if I had gone to the liquor store and picked up a drink or if I'm back living with my dad and if he wasn't supportive and had alcohol in the house, he's, you know, thankfully been really supportive and we have a dry household. Um, but if there was alcohol in the house, I'm sure I would have picked up because there's not that barrier of going out to get it. I've mm-hmm. been able to not <laughs> take that step. Yeah. Um, you know, if I had picked up, I am almost positive I would have actually killed myself. And so it is this cycle that if I drink, you know, I will self-harm worse and in a way that will probably end my life. Hmm. Are the tools similar to what are, you know, talked about in AA um, on recovery for say suicide and self-harm? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the early tools of, um, the thinking, thinking, and, you know, double-checking our our thought process, you know, a lot of that is the first stuff that's talked about in hospitals. You know, and a lot of people in hospitals are alcoholics, um, and they're getting sober for the first time. So there's a great deal of 12-step work like, you know, the early, um, early first step acceptance work, the discussion of powerlessness over our addictions, powerless, and, you know, they do talk about in the hospitals, they don't, they cover self-injury just as much as they cover, um, alcohol or other drugs. Um, you know, talking about accepting our powerlessness over it. And, um, those next steps of, you know, now that we're powerless over it, we have to turn to a higher power to help us take those next steps and figure out what those thought patterns are and what, you know, in therapeutic talk, talk it's what our triggers are. But, you know, it's, it, as far as AA goes, it's, you know, what those, um, Now I can't think of the AA term for it, but, um, defects, you know, it's, yeah, there we go. It's what our, what our defects are and which is the same thing as the triggers. And so it's all, you know, going about it the same way. It's just, they use different language sometimes. Sometimes they don't. Um, and it, but it's, the work is all the same hmm. and it's all having to do so much internal looking at your life and your decisions and how you got here and how you make those next steps so that oh, this cycle doesn't continue. And what does support look like um, for, you know, self-harm or suicide? Are there meetings that are as frequent as like AA meetings Um, other than psychiatric, which is short term for those, for those frequent meetings, 
No, there aren't. That's got to be tough. Which is kind of a shame. <laughs> yeah. And it isn't great, which is one reason why I, you know, tried as best I can to, you know, bring myself harm into AA for myself and, you know, for other people who, you know, as big as some of these meetings are, it's like, I know I'm not the only person mm-hmm. who has these struggles too. Yeah. I knew a girl when I was a teenager who had the issue and I didn't think much of it back then. Um, I didn't know anything, you know, yeah. I, I, I just thought, Oh, this, she's just doing it for attention or something. Um, so it's, it's kind of new to me. I'm, I'm kind of ignorant when it comes to the topic. So I really appreciate you talking about it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the biggest concern for me is that it's not really talked about. And it's like, that's where a lot of the misunderstandings and where a lot of the misinformation comes from because people don't talk about it. And it's like, that's, you know, that's where we start with getting alcoholism out there is you start talking about it as a disease, Hmm. as an addiction as you know something like that and like that that's where you need to start with anything you know with drug addiction with any of that you know it's it's yeah where people just start talking about it well congratulations on almost three years of uh, recovery from alcohol and a month and a half from self-harm what's today look like for you like what are you up to these days? I mean, you kind of told us in the beginning, but how do you feel today now versus what you might have um, felt like three years ago? Today, I feel a lot more capable. Like, nothing was possible three years ago. The idea of having to be on my own was terrifying. There was no way I'd be able to to be looking at having my own place. Um, but in fact, that idea two months ago was terrifying. Um, but I feel so much more confident in my ability to take care of myself and if I need help, to actually ask for it and know where I need to go to ask for it. Um, And I've worked really hard these last couple of years and then a couple of months to rebuild my community just socially, which is key. And that, you know, includes AA. Um, Because having that social life is really important. Because you got to have fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fun is very important for a healthy balanced life and that can sometimes get forgotten especially when you get really really busy mm-hmm. which I have gotten really really busy mm-hmm. um, I'm just going all the time which three years ago I also never imagined I would be the type of person who would actually wake up at 7.30 in the morning and be totally okay with getting up at 7.30 in the morning every day and just start my day. You know, I was waking up at 12 or 1 and struggling to do that. 
and oh. now I have normal regular hours and it's not hard. And that was never something I thought would happen. Nice. And being able to keep those hours feels great. Yeah. And makes life possible, really. Hmm. If you could describe your story in like a sentence or two, how would that be written? What would it say? Um, warrior's journey. Hmm. That's good. And warrior's journey and self-discovery, for sure. Hmm. And giving yourself, if you could look back and give yourself a piece of advice in those early days when you really needed it, what piece of advice would that be? Um, probably that I am worth more. And I just need to look for it. Yeah. Leah, thank you. Have you got any parting words for our listeners? Anything you like to get off your chest? Um, but no matter where you're at in your recovery, those promises actually do happen. And I'm one of the people who is totally convinced that they don't and people are just making that up. And there's no way it was ever going to happen for me, but they totally do. And you just got to keep coming back and keep doing the work and ask for help. Number one, ask for help. Always. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. I think that the best days are ahead of you. You know, as you say, the best is yet to come. And I'm excited for you. And I'm really glad you got to share your story on here. Yeah, thank you for asking me. Thank you, Leah, for joining the Recovery Edgecast this week. And I'd like to thank the listeners for checking us out again. Remember, you can find our podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to check out your podcasts. I appreciate you, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.